Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and the message is called, Blessed are the Pure in Heart. We hope you are blessed by the message today. So today we are talking about blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We've been in a series on the Beatitudes, and we are now, we're, we're coming close to the end. Some of them have lent to more of a topical nature to the, to the study and to the sermon. That's going to be sort of what this one is like. So we're looking at one phrase at a time, so clearly what you have to do is, is take that and look to the rest of Scripture and say, what does the Scripture say to help us to understand this text even more? And so it is, blessed are the pure in heart, and that is in Matthew chapter 5, so I would say turn there so you can see in your Bibles, on the page, where it is, not just on the screen, but in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, and we find that in verse 8. And it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I want to talk for a minute about what purity means what it means to be pure, what does the scripture mean by the word pure. We're going to go in a few different directions. We're going to talk a little bit about some theology and some doctrine that needs to be rooted in our lives to further understand the gospel, to be even more appreciative of the gospel, what Christ has done to save sinners like us, and then some application in prayer, how we should be praying and how we should be responding in light of what we learned today about being pure in heart. So pure means, in this text, unadulterated, without corruption, blameless, sincere, unstained with guilt. That's what the pure means. So, is this saying that we need sinless perfection in order to be blessed and in order to see God? That's what the pure means. To, to be pure in heart, is, is, it means unadulterated, without corruption, And that's really none of us in our natural state. But that is what we should be thinking about first. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. If this is saying happy are the blessed, happy and blessed are those whose hearts are without sin, then we'd be, we'd have a little bit of a problem without some more doctrine and some explanation and truth about what that would mean. Only in light of the redeeming work of Christ does that statement make sense which is important for us to understand the gospel today. Blessed are those whose hearts are without sin. But that is a reality in light of Scripture, so let's look at that. To be born again by the Spirit is to be a new person altogether and to have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ as our justification. Now, we've not... This is not a new topic for us at New City to talk about justification and the imputed righteousness of Christ, but I thought it would be good to just slow down for a moment, pause on that important doctrine, and let it set on our hearts and minister to us. Because it is the gospel, and it never gets old, and it is always important and sanctifying. The doctrine of, and this is the doctrine, the imputed righteousness of Jesus, or imputed righteousness Many many of you have heard that. In case some of you haven't heard that, I do want it to be very clear. 
It is this doctrine. And when I say doctrine, again, I, I don't want Christian language to ever push somebody away just because you don't understand. Doctrine might sound like a big, important word. It is an important word. It's actually not very big. But it just it's, could be confusing. All it means is truth. It's, it's what you believe. Everybody has doctrine. Your doctrine is either true or it's false. It's what you believe. So this doctrine, the belief of, the teaching of imputed righteousness, it really does argue for the complete inability of a man or woman being able to save themselves by their own effort or works. The imputed righteousness helps to kind of hold up other doctrines, and that'd be the other, one of the others, that there is a total inability and total depravity of a human being who is in sin to save themselves from that sin and make themselves right and justified and forgiven before God. It cannot happen without a miraculous transaction in which righteousness is given to the sinner. Righteousness must be given to a sinner. When imputed righteousness was completed in you, and I'm talking now to you, when I say you, I'm talking about my brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear this and just let it, let, let it well up in your heart and be a rejoicing today that if you are in Christ, when imputed righteousness was completed in you, that is the Christian who has trusted in Christ, the righteousness that was given is now nothing less than your very own righteousness. It's your righteousness now. And that's the heart of imputed righteousness is that what once wasn't yours and belonged to Christ alone, the righteous one, the holy one, the only one without sin, when imputed to the believer who has faith in Christ, it is actually imputed so that it is now yours. Isn't that awesome? That is the gospel. That is at the heart of the gospel, not a works-based, not I think I can do enough righteousness to one day be good enough for God. If I stop sinning enough, maybe God will love me, accept me. That is not in line with the imputed righteousness of Jesus and the importance of faith in Christ. There's a couple variations that throughout the ages Christian doctrine has, or I would say within what is called Christendom, so Catholic Belief and others have tried to use other phrases. It is imputed righteousness, but not, it's not infused righteousness. There is a difference. To, to infuse righteousness or to impart, that's another one. Imparted righteousness and infused righteousness is not what the Bible speaks of. We believe as Christians that righteousness is imputed to us. To impart or to infuse is simply a partial work that God does that we cooperate with so it's like infusing a little bit into us that we take that and do the rest with it as we can and we just do the best we can. It's not, it's not that. It is a complete work, not a partial work. In the same way, and Scripture gives us a good basis for this understanding on the flip side of this coin, in the same way that sin and guilt that belonged to Adam is carried through the gene pool into all of humanity, which we inherit, you inherit from birth. At the beginning of your life, you get the, impu you get the imputed sin of Adam. It is yours. You own it. We are guilty as human beings from birth. That is how it works. 
In the same way that their guilt, the guilt of Adam and Eve, is considered our guilt from birth, we need the perfection and purity and righteousness of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. That's what he's called, the perfect man. The word Adam simply means man. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is the perfect specimen of humanity. Full righteousness, obeyed every bit of God's law, was perfect. He was the second Adam. We need his righteousness, that perfect man, to be imputed to us. And how is this done? Scripture tells us that it is by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? Repentance from sin. Any man or woman or child turns from sin to look to Christ and trust in his finished work on the cross. Through faith we are justified. The imputed works of Christ are given to us. There's a couple scriptures to look at to really help us to see that. You've probably read them before. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. These should all be on the screen. Listen to the clarity of this. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Isn't that an amazing transaction? Faith in Christ is, at that point, your faith is credited as righteousness. Your faith in Christ is so important. Not only to do it once, but doesn't this also uphold the, the, the importance of continued faithfulness toward Jesus Christ who imputes to us his righteousness? Look at Romans 5.19. If you turn there in your Bibles, just a page or so to the right, Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's speaking of Adam, what I just spoke about. Even so, through the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. What Jesus did on the cross and in coming to earth was the ultimate fulfillment of what Adam should have done in the garden, but was unable to and did not do it, and Christ finishes the work, completes the work. So that makes sense as one interpretation of our text. If you think about it again, the text is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if pure means blameless, uncorrupted, perfect and sinless, in light of that truth of the gospel, the imputed righteousness of Jesus, we can say that is true. The one who is made righteous through Christ then is given sight to see God. You then can see and savor a relationship with God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, because of the fact that you have been made righteous in the eyes of God through Jesus. And that makes sense. The happiest people on earth are those whose sins are forgiven. Isn't that the happy? That's where we go, come back to the Beatitudes. What does it mean to be a blessed kingdom people? You are not happy in unforgiven sin. You are pretending. You can last for a little while. You can fill your life with se- temporary satisfying things. But the happiest people are those who are forgiven of all their sins. Without forgiveness, you cannot walk in this life of blessedness. It is not possible. Those who are forgiven and have been brought into a relationship with our God. Blessed are those who, whose hearts have been purified. Praise God for that. Psalm 24, verse thir- 3 to 4 
And, there, and I would just encourage you, now that, and this happens, this has been happening every time I've spent time studying these Beatitudes, you begin to look at this, a truth like this, then you start reading scripture and you see it everywhere. Listen to this in the Psalms. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And you will find through the Psalms and all through the scriptures, you will find this reality of the presence of God and the purity of God connected with our cleansing, our purity in some way, shape, or form. How can we ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, how do we see God? We must be pure. There must be purity in our hearts. We have to be clean. And so we have seen that the pureness of heart that we need comes from the imputed righteousness of Christ and his pure record. But the Bible also speaks of this purifying work in an incredible surgical manner. And I want to talk about that because there's actually something that Scripture says happens prior to your faith in Christ. And we and the elders here, we stand on this 100% that there is a work of regeneration that happens prior to your professing faith in Jesus Christ. It is a necessary work and it's a surgical work and you may already be familiar with it in the scripture. But the heart without Christ is in such a state of depravity and sin that nothing short of a surgical hand of God could bring about the change that's necessary. Nothing else could do it. Look at Jeremiah 17. Turn there in your Bibles, and then we'll look at Ezekiel. So if you want to kind of find both of those, we're going to be at Jeremiah 17 and then Ezekiel 36. I would encourage you to take notes of these and study them further, dig deeper. But Jeremiah 17, in the midst of a, of a greater context, of course, and, and after Ezekiel 17, uh, verse 9, you read through and you find that there is a repentance from Jeremiah and a seeking of deliverance and forgiveness. But here is a recognition of the state of our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Almost as if it's so, so much so that the human mind can't even comprehend even, even our own state of depravity. How wicked are we in our sinful state before Christ? What is the human being capable of? And all you have to do is read a few books and look at history to see how wicked a human being can be. There's a few examples that we could bring up, and you know a few as well. So sick, so depraved, left to themselves without God, absolutely atrocious, sick, deceitful. But for any of us to say, well, that's him, I'm not capable of that, that's that person, I'm not capable of that, that's a total lie. It is the human heart that is in this condition. The heart is deceitful. So what about that condition? So if that's in the heart, the heart, the center of man, the very inside, the core of human nature is desperately sick. Ezekiel 36 gives us an amazing answer to that. Beginning in verse 25, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 7, 27, 25 to 27. Listen to this amazing promise. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness. 
and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Do you see the surgery there? And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. This is a promise of something that Christ would do, a promise of something that would be made possible only through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. This is surgery. This is an old heart that is of flesh, this desperate, wicked deceitful above all things heart that cannot even be comprehended there's a promise from God that in the gospel he would change our heart and not just transform the current heart but do you see what he says I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh the stony sinful heart gets removed in the life of a believer the one whose faith is in Christ gets a new heart you ever, you ever hear people say, I love that thing with all my heart, that such and such, I love that person with all my heart? The heart is tied to what you love and your desires and your aspirations. The heart of man is, is, is at the core of your motivation, why you do things. And this promise here is that he would remove the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. What is that saying? A pliable heart. One that God works with and shapes and molds. A heart of flesh that's soft and tender and, and made by God. That has this result. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. That's only possible in God. For someone to desire the will of God, the ways of God, and the word of God, a heart needs to be purified. Needs to be cleansed. Even more than just the cleansing and sprinkling of water, but the complete renewal of the human heart. And that's, that's what God does. What's being described here is the sovereign work of grace upon a sinner that is being drawn to the Savior. At some point in the process of someone coming to Christ, being drawn to the Savior miraculously by God, by the Spirit of God, there is a surgery that takes place. Without a changed heart, a person could not even desire Christ. Because if the heart truly is desperately wicked and deceitful, how can you trust in Christ without this surgery? So it, all this does, it just builds our absolute dependency on the mercy of God. We already talked about it last week. Who deserves mercy? Nobody. Nobody deserves mercy. But the mercy is there, and God does this by his sovereign grace. And the resulting life is one of surrender and satisfaction, and according to many texts, and including the one we're studying, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not only does it uh, cause us to surrender and be satisfied in him, but he gives us new sight, able to see God and the things of God. So I want to think about that word see for just a moment. It said it in our text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is he talking about? We've talked a little bit about the we know what blessed means. It's happy, pure. One translation of that or interpretation of that would be sinless perfection or the one who is righteous in Christ. But what does it mean to see God? 
In the original language, it's a broader meaning. It goes far beyond just physical sight and what the eyes can do. It can also mean to see with the mind or to be aware or to perceive and pay attention to God. To be aware of and just think about in terms of general life. How many of you are aware of God's moving and working and activity in everything that you do? Those of you who see God in everything, there's a good chance that you are pure in heart. It's a good chance that you've been given a new heart to then see God. And I'm not talking about the mystical Eastern religion that says that everything is God. There's a difference between saying that you and I are God and the sun is God and the universe is God. There's a massive difference between that and saying God is everywhere. God is working in everything, every molecule, every act, everywhere. He's in it. He's there. He is nowhere. There is nowhere that we can escape from his presence. But not only that, but a Christian looks at God and says he is actively at work in this world, creatively, beautifully, He's a sustainer of life. He holds people at bay. He, is, he brings judgment, and it's happening all the time. But humans are able to know God. Let's just pause there for a moment and enjoy that. Humans are able to know God. We are able to see God. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure, they shall see God. If if there is a massive amount of frustration in your life right now because of circumstances, and I think a lot of it, doesn't it often come down to, I don't see what God is doing? You ever said that? How often is it actually the purity of your heart that is affecting that? The pure in heart can see God at work. That's the truth. God is always working, The one who says, I don't see him at work, doesn't prove that God isn't working. It just says that you can't see it. Consider the experience of Adam and Eve for just once again. Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look at that scenario. Think about that for a moment. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. There was a time when there was a a reality, a presence about the relationship between God and humanity where they could, it was described this way. They heard the sound and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Of course, this is after they had sinned. Shame had now entered in and there was a hiding. There was a, a separation there that was being made. But I say all this to just draw out. They saw more clearly than any of us ever have. Adam and Eve, in their perfect created state, had a relationship with God before they sinned that we could not even imagine. One day we will see it. One day we will be as he is. We will be transformed and we will be made like Christ. Made like Christ and able to be in the presence of a holy God. But they saw something. I just want you to just imagine that for a moment. We are missing something. This is not all there is, people. It, it does get better. Not in this life. There's a transforming work of the heart that causes 
uh, growth, and it does get better in a sense, but the, the joy, the glory, the ultimate purpose of our created race comes later to be in the presence of God. Well, they saw more clearly in their perfect state of body, soul, and spirit, but that changed when they chose to receive from Satan what God never offered them. As they were looking around and seeing all that had happened, all that God had made, they received from Satan what God had never offered. Think about this principle. We're not going deep into a dive of, or a study of Genesis 3. This is all to get to a, a conclusion. God conceals from us what is not good for us. And that's love, by the way. That is love, to conceal what is not good, even if the people you're concealing it from think it would be good for them. That's, that's true love. Parents, you know that. That has to be a principle of our life. We conceal, guard, protect, don't allow what is not good for our children, no matter what. We do that, and it's love. Teenagers that are hearing that, that have struggled responding to that sort of instruction from your parents, it is love, even though it's hard in the moment to see, when they guard you from what is truly not good for your soul, your body, that is love. Satan operates opposite. Satan flaunts and exaggerates the things that will hurt and destroy. Satan flaunts and exaggerates, and that is the system of the world. What is open and before you? What is, what is being flaunted before our eyes to receive as satisfaction and joy and hope and peace? That's the work of Satan. In this fallen world affected by sin, the natural man sees and takes what is right in front of his eyes only to destroy his soul. Think about that for a moment. The thing that is right in front of you, what you see, the natural man sees and takes and wants what is his, whether it's something that you should have or not. The perverted mind, the heart, the soul that is corrupted sees what is right in front of him or her and takes it. The natural man cannot see God, though, till spiritual blindness is lifted, until God lifts the scales from the eyes. See, now we live in a world where natural man sees everything but God until a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit is wrought in the heart, until that heart change takes place. This provides a lot of answers, does it not, to why it's so difficult to see and witness and view people in this world destroying them li their lives that just won't see God? Why is that? Because God must do the work. And we must be completely dependent on God to do that. And our prayers should be God-directed. God, change this person's life. Change their disposition and their di desires. Give them a new heart. That's where our prayers are directed prior to salvation. Prior to witnessing the new birth of a person. We are completely and totally dependent. We want to see God lift scales from people's eyes, do we not? How many people do you know in your life right now that it just seems that there are scales on their eyes? How many of you remember when there were scales on your eyes? How did you come to Christ? What opened your, your eyes? It was God. 
It was God, nothing but God. God uses, he has means. People came into your life, preached the gospel, shared with you, loved you, showed you the word of God, told you the gospel. That's all God, by the way. God's doing that through his means. It is God who does that. To the pure in heart, the world is full of what God has made, his beauty, his design. To the corrupt in heart, God is of no concern. Now, that should be a concern. As much as you can perceive that, that should be a concern. If your day goes by and you live your life and there is no concern in your heart for God or the things of God, that is concerning. Because it is the pure in heart that see God. And he is always at work. How you interpret what you see is related to the condition of your heart, the innermost part of your soul, how you interpret what you see. So that's how you give value, whether you call something good or evil, worth your time, not worth your time. Something that is corrupt or pure. How you see and interpret is not based on the intrinsic value often of the thing, but what is in your heart. It's not what goes into a person that defiles, Jesus said, but what comes out. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, the person, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That just tells us the heart is the problem. I want to consider another layer of this for some application. We've talked about the imputed righteousness of Christ, the need for Christ and his righteousness to be imputed to us so that we become those pure people that see God, that have a relationship with God, that are reconciled to him. But there's another layer of all of this. In the Beatitudes, we've been thinking consistently about an inner work of God that is manifested outwardly in God's people. We've been calling it kingdom people or a kingdom mindset. The pure in heart, the merciful in heart, the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is a work of God that eventually manifests out in our living, in our attitudes, the beatitudes. What is this in terms of outward purity then? Because it's not just a matter of being purified in the heart. We are being called to live in purity to live with pure heart and pure thought. Well, another way to translate this word for purity is also to think of it as an undivided heart in devotion to and committed to God. An undivided heart. One that is pure. This is a person with a singleness of mind towards Jesus. Your eyes are on Christ and no other God. Christ and no other idol, pure in motives and pure in action. And we know that having been cleansed through faith in the gospel and healed of spiritual blindness, we can now see God in everything, and therefore we can walk in purity before him and others. Think about a few things here for a moment. We need God ever before our eyes, do we not? We need God before our eyes so that we see the world through his lenses. Like we we want to see through the filter of God's holiness, God's word, and God's righteousness. So I'm gonna share I'm gonna share three areas, all right, where you can check your heart today and think about it in terms of its purity. 
Because what good is learning and talking about pureness of heart by the power of the life-changing gospel if there is no challenge to actually live it out? It would be a mistake if we just leave here and say, God's got this. I don't actually have to be pure because I am pure. Like, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. It is the righteousness imputed to us that flows out of us and causes us to live, walk, act, love, and speak purely to other people. So the first place I want to think about is pure in heart. The pure in heart see God in nature. The pure in heart see God in nature. You ever had that friend that you're like, as a Christian, you're like, did you see the sunset? And they're like, no. <laughs> did you see this beautiful thing? Or you're out doing whatever, I don't know, whatever you do. <laughs> and, you know, you all have your uh, hobbies and things you like. But as a Christian, you see things, don't you? You see beauty. You could be digging in the dirt and just thanking the Lord. God is right here. God made this. The splendor of God. What is the purpose of nature? It it glorifies God. It shows us his handiwork. What about the stars? Last time you looked at a star and you thought, praise the Lord. God made the stars. He formed them. He spoke them. This is something that is of no consequence to an atheist. There is no worldview within an atheist to say, what a beautifully created thing. It's not in their worldview. You have to say, what a wonderful accident, accidental blob, if you're an atheist. But design and beauty and creativity, that's God's. What about storms? You ever heard thunderclap? and it was so massively loud, the first thing you thought was the power of God? Lightning, tornadoes, hurricanes, the power that exists in nature, it points us to an all-powerful God. It reflects that there is a creator that is even more powerful still than all the storms combined. What about the beasts of the, of the earth? the ones that garner so much awe and respect because they're so ferocious, so powerful. Though we were given dominion, I'll admit, there are certain beasts I don't try to take dominion over. It's just the truth. And that, there's a purpose for that because those beasts, though as a humanity and mankind has been given dominion over the earth, they show us something about the nature of God, do they not? The power, the awe, the ability of God and his creative genius. Mountains, you can just keep on going. The, the, the beauty, the splendor. It is the pure in heart that have that joy of seeing God in all of that. Think about it in your occupation, what you do, the things you get to see in nature around you created by God, the pure in heart see God in all of that. That's a benefit, brothers and sisters. And it's something that not everybody enjoys. Secondly, the pure in heart see God in Scripture. The pure in heart see God in the Scriptures. What are the purpose of the Scriptures? Only the pure in heart see the value and the beauty of God's Word written for humanity, written for His people as a message from God to us on how, who we are and who He is, how to be saved, how, to be, how He has loved us. The impure mind cannot see a trace of God in the Bible. I'm sure you've you've noticed that in some 
conversations with people that maybe find out that you're a, a Bible thumper, you know? Like, you read the Bible, you love the Bible, and there's no mind space in the impure to look at God's word and see anything beautiful in it. The fact that there are Christians all over the world that, are, that own and read this book and find treasure and value in it is a miracle. Other than, the, other than that life-changing, mind-altering, heart change of God, this would be, it would be nothing to us. It is God who opens the eyes and illuminates our eyes to see that this is, in fact, God's word. And there is beauty in it. The pure see God in the pages of Scripture. And we are like the psalmist. Psalm 119, 18. Meditate on this for a little bit. Open my eyes. Notice the sight there? <laughs> Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. How do we begin to see that his law, his word, is wonderful? It is wondrous. It is something to behold and be awestruck by. We need eyes and sight that God gives us. And that is for the pure in heart. So let that affect how you love God's word. And maybe that even leave, would even lead you to places of repentance. That if there is a devaluing of God's word in your life, or an unawareness, or a lack of awe for God's holy, life-changing word, then, then maybe you aren't pure in heart, and you need to seek the Lord. And ask the Lord to fill you and to purify you by his word and by his gospel. Thirdly, the pure in heart see God in the church. And I think that this is maybe one of the most difficult and really practical. What is this? The church, the gathered church, the people of God. What is the church? The impure see no benefit from this. It is the impure that see the church of God, the, the gathered people, the assembly of God's people, as an absolute waste of time. It is the pure of God that see that God, the pure in Christ, the pure in heart, that see that God is in the church. That the gathering like this is holy and peculiar and special. That God has ordained an assembly of God's people from out of the world and out of this, out of sin, to come together in His name and commemorate His life, death, burial, and resurrection forever. We are God's people. We are the bride of Christ. It affects how we see worship. The pure in heart see the gathering of God's people and the worship of a holy God as special as meaningful, as valuable, as necessary. It's hard to gather with God's people. It can be. But it is the pure in heart that don't gather with God's people because it's easy or not. It is the pure in heart that see that the church belongs to God. And the church is God's idea. And it is for us for our edification, for our strengthening, for our mission to spread the gospel and spread Christ everywhere. It is his means through the church. Do you see family in the church? 
That's something that only the pure in heart can see, that all of you guys are my family. And you all each other, as you look at each other, as we fellowship, as we have do life together, as we grow, as we seek to do mission, we do it as a family. Real brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ under the Father. The pure in heart see that. If you cannot see what I'm talking about, that is not proof that there's nothing there, only that you can't see while everybody else can. That's, I think, a profound thing that we need to understand, especially when witnessing to friends and family that don't see what you see. Just because they don't see it doesn't prove that you don't see it. You see it because God has opened your eyes to it. You see it because in Christ, your heart has been made pure. Through him, all glory to Jesus, not your own glory. You've done nothing magical to make this happen. All glory to God. So we, we can respond and pray accordingly. And I just want to ask a few questions as we bring it to a close. And I really want to encourage you to humble your heart and ask these questions sincerely. Do you need cleansing today? Do you need a purification of your heart? And I would say, I could, I'm going to say this first to Christians, to believers, because there is a sense in which we have been purified, made righteous in Christ, but there is remaining sin that frustrate all of us, things that cause us to have still messy relationships, to daily crucify the flesh. We know that there is a reality in Scripture of how this works out, but you might be here this morning and you might be saying, I need to be cleansed. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That might need to be your prayer today. Just to say, God, create in me a clean heart. Recreate something in me. Renew, renew a right spirit. Not Not a wrong spirit, not a sinful spirit, not a spirit and an inclination towards sin, and rebellion, but a clean heart. And that's going to take you just saying, God, I need you. Create this in me. A desperate plea for the Lord, looking to God who created heavens and earth. If we look at him who created the heavens and the earth, can he not sanctify your heart today of any sin? Can he not continue the process of sanctifying you, the, deceit, the, the deceptiveness that you perhaps have been walking in? So if that's something that you need, then cry out to the Lord today to say, cleanse me of this. God can purify the most vile man or woman with a single word of grace and love. Uh, One instant, purified. Can he not then come alongside you and, and forgive you daily and purify you and sanctify you and walk with you? If you seek him this way, he can. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil con- from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
So what we're doing is we're looking back on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for all the assurance that we need in order to draw near to him. So if we have a dirty conscience, is that you? Is your conscience afflicted today? You have been in the wrong. You have done the wrong. You're a Christian, but maybe you need to be more serious about your faith. Be in the word, loving to your spouse, a a father who is committed to and dedicated to his children, leading your family in a way that gives God glory. Men, women, children, all of you, whatever it is, all of us, are we stained with some sort of guilt today? It was dealt with at the cross. Know that first and foremost. And because of that, we draw near in Christ's name, believing and holding on to his cleansing power. So we come to him in the name of Christ through the avenue which Christ created for us through the cross, and we ask him for cleansing. Cleanse me, O God. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice the common theme in the scripture when it comes to purity. Did you see it? We've mentioned it now several times in the presence of God. Purity and the presence of God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purity is linked to the presence of God. This is the the mystery of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ. Sinners can draw near to God because God draws near to us, and that is an act of grace. Sinners can draw near to God because he drew, drew near to us. God became man, suffered the cross for the cleansing of sinners, and through faith we can now see God. Let me end with a couple stanzas from an incredible hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. The washing of sin, brothers and sisters, is a final thing through Jesus Christ. But the one who is washed in sin now knows where to go for daily cleansing and healing and forgiveness and strength from daily things that get on us. You know that that's true, right? We need the sanctifying work of Christ to cleanse us to renew us, to make us more holy. So I want to leave you there thinking of that fountain this morning, the fountain of Christ's blood. Just focus there, think on that, the pure and spotless Christ who makes guilty sinners pure and new through faith. The pure in heart are the ones who see God in this life, but not only this life, and this is the ultimate fulfillment of this scripture and promise. The pure in heart, because of Jesus, will see God one day face to face. We'll be in his presence in that eternal state, and there we will be happy for eternity. 100% satisfied. No more sin, no more guilt, no more shame. And we will see him face to face. Amen, church? Praise God. Glory to God. So we're going to go into a time of communion as we always do, but let's do so with this on our hearts. This is an opportunity 
to respond. So I'm going to just pray. Let me pray and let's continue this mindset of seeking the Lord for cleansing and take this very opportunity to do so as we seek the Lord in communion. Father, thank you for your word today. And we give you glory. We praise you for Jesus Christ, your son, the son of God, sent into the world, slain for our transgressions that we might be healed and free. But Lord, all of us deal with every day the reality of remaining impurity. You use this analogy in the word of the refiner's fire that gold, in order to be refined, must come under heat. It must. Lord, continue to refine us, cleanse us by the fire of your word, by the cleansing power of the spirit and the truth of the gospel. Lord, that we would never resist, though uncomfortable as it can be, what you are trying and and, and what you are doing, but yet what we would often resist because of the pain. Whatever you are doing, Lord, right now, today, to cleanse us, to purify us, to point out the sin that we need to turn from, may we not resist it, but welcome it. And I pray you'd give us a heart of confession. Thank you, Lord, for the sight that you have given to the majority in this room. We can see God because our hearts have been made pure through the imputed righteousness of Jesus. So we thank you for that. So Lord, we just come to you again and we're asking for faith, eyes to see, Lord, that we would believe the gospel, that we would respond accordingly, Lord. Humble us. Keep speaking to hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.